This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security for March 1st, 2019. In this week's episode, how Facebook can track you without having an account, a taste of the future in the form of marzipan, and touchscreen Macs. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Another week, another story about Facebook. It's as if this stuff about Facebook comes out with a certain regularity to provide us with things to talk about on the podcast. We've talked about the many nefarious things that Facebook does, and the latest story is that Facebook is harvesting a huge amount of data from people who are using apps that are on iOS and on Android. The thing is, you don't even have to have a Facebook account for them to harvest the data. Yeah, this this is um, curious. You kind of wonder, okay, well, how how is it even possible for Facebook to track me? If I'm not logged into my Facebook account, or what, what if I even don't have Facebook, how can one of these iOS apps actually be tracking what I'm doing online? And this story was particularly interesting to me because uh, one of the apps that they have uh, in the screenshot, on uh, so Mac Rumors ha- has a piece about this. Uh, they cite the Wall Street Journal um, with a list of apps. And one of these apps is one that I actually have on my phone, uh, this instant heart rate HR monitor. Now, I haven't really used this in a long time because it's not really necessary anymore. I have an Apple Watch, so it knows my heart rate. But um, it used to be that uh, just about the only way you could check your heart rate on an iPhone was to hold your finger up to the camera, and there was some funky way that it's it could like detect your heart rate. You, you would hold your finger over the camera, and the flash would light up, and this would allow the camera to spot the blood moving in your capillaries is actually quite clever. Yeah. So I, and I, I, I think this app has been, you know, bought and sold a couple of times and uh, I don't know why I still have this on my phone, but it's still there. And so now I'm kind of wondering about this app. I'm like, wow, I guess maybe I should uninstall apps that I haven't used in a while, just in case they're uh, trying to track my information. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Because as you say, apps get bought and sold. And we've talked about this in the past. When we talked about data that's been collected about users, you may sign up for an app and you don't read the privacy policy, but they say they're never going to sell your data, but someone buys the company and, well, that goes out the window and they're going to start selling your data. Um, What's interesting here is the fact that you don't have to be signed into Facebook for this to do anything. So what they're doing is they're detecting, they're getting your email address, either because you've signed into the app to create an account or some other way they're getting your email address. And they're using that with other data that they've gotten from websites with your email address in order to make a profile of you. And this profile Facebook uses for ads that it serves because Facebook doesn't only serve ads on Facebook itself. So any information they have about you, they can eventually use to sell ads in a variety of locations. Remember, Facebook also owns Instagram and WhatsApp. So the fact that you don't have to be a Facebook user is really pernicious. And and some of these apps, for instance, Flow Period and Ovulation Tracker has 25 million active users. Now, if Facebook knows when a woman is ovulating to try to get pregnant, and if someone is using this app, it is because they are trying to get pregnant. Well, you can just imagine that they want to target certain ads about pregnancy tests or 
things for babies, assuming that it works out and all that. This is particularly evil. Now, what I don't like is why has Apple not spotted this? I would think that these apps need to tell Apple what they're doing with data. So when Apple reviews an app, they test it. They test it in a sort of a virtual machine. They'll see that there's data being sent. How is it possible that these apps are sending that much data? I mean, this raises the question of you can't trust anything that you put on your iPhone. Well, you know, that's actually a very valid point because, uh, you know, we, we trust Apple. We, we, we have no other choice, right? If you want to put an app on your iOS device, you've got to get it from the App Store. Apple tells us, you know, we've curated all the apps that are in the store. And so, um, you know, they've presented themselves as, you know, this is the one way and it's trustworthy. So don't worry about it. But um, you you kind of do have to to be a little bit concerned about what you're installing on your iOS device. Um, this is actually not even the first story that's ever come up about tracking being inside uh, an iOS app. We'll put a link in the show notes to an article that I wrote back in January 2017. Uh, this was a, one of my month in review articles, kind of giving an overview of all the security and privacy things that had happened in the month that were relevant to Apple users. And I wrote in that article about an app called, and I'm not sure of the pronunciation, but it's M-E-I-T-U, Meitu or something like that. And uh, this was an app that was developed in China, and it had at least half a dozen analytics and tracking packages all bundled within the app. And and the whole purpose of this app, from from a user perspective, the reason why you would download this app was because it prettified your face, you know, so uh, it made you look like a a, a doll or something. Like it smoothed out your skin, it gave you like big, you know, anime-looking eyes and made your lips red and all these sort of nice things. So it made you look extra pretty. So a lot of people were downloading this so they could could post their Meitu, uh, you know, ified faces on Instagram or whatever. And what turns out, the, the way that this app was monetized was because of all these tracking packages that were built into it. Half a dozen? Like, wh- what, are, what are people doing with that if they're not selling that data to somebody? And selling it for companies to create advertising profiles of you. And also, in many cases, the companies just want to know what people are doing, what apps they're using, etc. Um, this is what we saw with the Facebook app that we talked about a few weeks ago that was paying teenagers to follow their habits. In some cases... They just want to know what's what's hot, what people, maybe what they're installing, what they're doing. Um, what, what really bothers me, though, is that we do trust Apple for this stuff and that if they're not able to block it, that's really disturbing. When you look at the flow period and ovulation tracker app, 25 million active users, this would be a huge hit to them if Apple were to bump them from the iOS app store. And I think Apple needs to slap these companies on the wrist extremely severely. Um, this this can't go on like this. It's just not right. I think one of the things that, that's important to know is that Apple is not, or at least does not seem to be really doing anything to prevent tracking and other privacy violating things like this that are in iOS apps. This is interesting coming from a company that, you know, is very much pushing, you know, what's on your device stays on your device. You know, we're, we're protecting your privacy. Um, we care about your privacy. Everything is all about privacy for Apple, but yet they're not really, they don't seem to be doing much when it comes to third-party apps 
to protect your privacy. They're not preventing developers from bundling all of these tracking and analytics packages uh, into their apps. So this is something that uh, I think we need to start holding Apple's feet to the fire and and uh, and really pushing Apple to do a better job of not just looking at their own systems, but also looking at things that they allow onto their devices in the case of iOS. Well, it's particularly interesting because Tim Cook in a NPR interview came out and talked about health records and the importance of privacy with health records. Now, if you use the health app on your iOS device, you know that you can record things that come from different places. Your Apple Watch will record, as you said earlier, your heart rate, the number of steps in your activity. If you have a Wi-Fi connected scale, that data can go in. You can get a Bluetooth uh, blood pressure monitor. There are all sorts of apps, the thermometers that work like that. And all of this goes into a centralized database. Health records are one of the most personal and one of the most important sets of records that we own, because particularly in the U.S. where you don't have a single payer health care system, an insurance company, if they get a hold of some of this information, they will change your premiums based on what this information says about your health. Here where I live in the UK, it wouldn't matter because uh, the national health system, the NHS, doesn't change um, the way it works according to any specific information like that. But also imagine that you do have some sort of an illness and you don't want your employer to find out for one reason or another. Um, while it's probably illegal to fire someone because they have an illness, um, you might not want them to know. Or let's say a woman gets pregnant and it's in their health records, but they don't want to tell their employer right away. Right. Yeah. Th- these are really serious concerns that people would have. And I, I think what's interesting to me about this, um, this uh, NPR interview of Tim Cook uh, is all about health records. And what I find interesting about this is that the, the quotes in the article seem to really indicate that people who are in the healthcare industry trusting Apple, they really feel like Apple is a trustworthy company, that they really seem to to be believing all of the great things that Apple is saying about how we protect your privacy. And so it seems like the healthcare industry, at least for its part, seems to to, uh, feel like Apple is doing a good job there, at least better than competitors, maybe. And this is similar to the banking industry. And we talked about it last week, the fact that Apple is in talks apparently with Goldman Sachs to come out with a credit card and the way Apple Pay works. And and I think I mentioned last week, the banks trust Apple Pay. I can pay with my iPhone using my American Express card and American Express trusts and my bank trusts. Um, they trust Face ID. They trust all of this. So if Apple gets the same level of trust regarding health records, it's true that this could have very important effects. Now, the the real question is what happens to the health records afterwards They're safe on your iPhone, but when they get transferred to someone else, is the security in hospitals and healthcare providers as good as Apple's security? Interesting story. I think, um, you know, it's funny how how we we're we're just talking about how Apple doesn't necessarily do a great job of protecting your privacy when you're using third party apps. And then yet the healthcare and banking industries both completely trust Apple when it comes to privacy. Well, because it's not third-party apps, because yes. it, it's frameworks, what we call frameworks. And that's that's the, the part of an operating system that handles a certain thing. So WebKit, we've mentioned many times, is a framework that displays web pages. And there are frameworks for security, frameworks for Apple Pay, and all sorts of things that are built into the operating system. And these are trustworthy, but they're trustworthy because it is a walled garden, because third-party apps don't have access to Apple Pay. They can access Face ID, which they consider good enough to authenticate. My bank app does that. 
but they can't use Apple Pay. Right. And with Apple's HealthKit framework, the way that it works is you have to explicitly authorize any particular app to have access to any health-related data, to, to either update your health profile or to read anything from your health profile that's all bundled in as part of HealthKit. You know, I, I think Apple actually is doing, a, it seems to be that, that they're doing a good job with this HealthKit framework. And I think that's where the trust comes in from, uh, from these healthcare providers. They just need to do a little bit more about these third-party apps and the kind of data that they're leaking. Right. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Marzipan. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego. Devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, so Marzipan. Just before we started recording, I asked Josh what he thinks about Marzipan. And Josh doesn't even know what Marzipan is. He doesn't know what it tastes like. Marzipan is a food. It's made of almonds and sugar. It's a paste. You use it to, you stuff it inside cakes and muffins, or you put it as like a frosting on cakes. You, you're not familiar with this. Well, I knew it was a culinary thing, but I, I always forget exactly what that is. I've mentioned before on the show that I'm a fan of this Homestar Runner cartoon series, and Marzipan is a character on that show. So Marzipan immediately brings to mind this character on HomestarRunner.com. But. Okay, I don't know it, but we'll link in the show notes for those who want to discover Josh's peccadillos. Marzipan is a code name for a new Apple technology that we've seen with the release of macOS Mojave. What it essentially is, is a framework, see, we're using that term framework again, that lets developers take iOS apps and adapt them for the Mac really easily. And I think there are four in macOS, the News app, Stocks, Voice Memos, and Home. Now, all of these are apps that are very simple. They all have single windows, and that's one of the limitations of Marzipan. You can't have multiple windows. Um, you can't change font sizes in the news app, and I find that a little bit annoying. Um, you can't open tabs. They're all very, very limited. Um, I, I have a couple of um, smart lights in my house, so I'm just opening the home app, and I can see now, well, oh, TV room, Apple TV is not responding. It never does. I don't know why, but my office light is on, and it's the same little buttons that you would see on an iOS device. You've got rooms, you've got scenes, and you can do the same kind of thing. The news app, Looks pretty much like it does on the iPad, not so much on the iPhone because it's a bigger display. I kind of like the Stocks app personally, and it's funny because the Stocks app was the running joke on iOS from the very beginning that 
you know, who uses the stocks app? I actually do just to follow currency fluctuations because, you know, I'm in the UK and I work a lot with the US and I need to know what the exchange rates are to have an idea. So these are all really, really simple apps. What's going to happen in the future, at least according to Bloomberg, is that Apple is going to allow developers to combine iPhone, iPad, and Mac apps by 2021. Yeah, now this this is curious because, um, you know, we, we've seen other companies, most notably, I think, Microsoft, um, try to do something like this uh, to varying degrees of success. And, and I think typically, well, at least in the case of Microsoft, it didn't, I don't know that it was very well received, this idea that you could, you know, write an app once and it would work great on any platform. But I think if anyone can pull this off, Apple probably can do this. Um, I I think there have been uh, a really big variety of opinions about whether Apple needs to merge its operating systems and have the same OS on the desktop and laptop and tablet and phone. I don't think that that makes sense for a variety of reasons. You know, a desktop and laptop operating system needs to be able to do a lot more than you necessarily need to do on these smaller mobile devices. It does make sense for for a lot more technologies, I think, to be shared between the platforms. And Apple has actually behind the scenes, there's quite a bit that, uh, you know, we talked about WebKit and, you know, WebKit exists on all of Apple's platforms. Apple has a different operating system essentially for each type of device. So there's TVOS uh, as another one for for the Apple TV. Um, But all of these use the same frameworks. Even watchOS, which displays very differently, it uses a sort of reduced version of iOS. Essentially, the, the interest here is that having a uh, a common code base across these operating systems makes it a lot easier to bring the same sorts of features to all of them at the same time. And there's the security advantage. As we've talked about many times, when they uh, release security updates for all the operating systems, it's not because they've been busy on each one. It's that in many cases, they've been busy on the common code base that then gets pushed out to each different operating system. Right. So in some cases, there might be a flaw that's discovered that really necessarily only affects iOS, but, you know, someone could potentially use that vulnerability in some other clever ways on a Mac. And so if they patch it for everything, even though it only seems to affect one platform, all the better for security for everybody on all of Apple's platforms. So this term has been going around for years now, the fact that Apple is going to make macOS more like iOS. We tend to call it iOSification. And and a lot of people criticize this because they're afraid that apps are going to be simplified. And I personally don't think that. Um, It's true that when I look at the news app, uh, I can't change the font size, and that's really bad. Do I really need extra windows in the news app the way it works? Why do people necessarily think that every app has to have a whole bunch of features on the Mac? The home app is a really great example. All you need is the three tabs and a couple of buttons, and you don't need to do much. Um, Apple could have made a different type of home app, but why bother? The, The point here is that there are lots of apps that can exist on the two platforms, the two being mobile and desktop. And there's no need to have developers go through all the trouble of recreating it for the desktop. Of course, Apple's main interest here is to get more apps. Um, There are far more apps developed for iOS than there are for macOS, and they would like to get many of these iOS apps available on macOS. But what's interesting for users is, as it currently stands, 
a developer can make an app that works on the iPad and it works on the iPhone and potentially on the Apple TV and even the Apple Watch if they want. They could charge a different price for the iPhone and the iPad version, but most developers don't. They'll make a single binary, a single um, universal version that you can download on any of the devices. And I think that's really enticing for users to know that when someone comes out with a new app, and games are really a good example of what can be um, made in Marzipan, that they can buy it on one device and use it on the other ones that they have. Yeah, and that's where this could be a really big advantage for Apple. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with this is going to benefit Mac OS a lot more than it benefits the other platforms because you already have a ton of developers who are developing iOS apps. Um, and so if you could say, you know, take one of these really popular game titles that's only available currently on iOS and suddenly instantly make that also available for Mac OS, all the better, because now on the Mac OS platform, you've already purchased that app. Again, assuming that, that they're uh, having one app that's available on every platform, which is the whole idea behind Marzipan. And so if you've got, if you've purchased it on your iOS device and you can go over to your Mac and keep playing that game, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, and I, I guess in a sense, that's even a little bit similar to what Nintendo is doing with its Switch, for example. You've got uh, a platform that's both a mobile platform and you can dock it and hook it up to your television and use your one game in different scenarios. And so this is a little bit different, but it's it's similar in that um, you could take apps that you're used to playing on a handheld device, and now you could play those same apps on your desktop or on your MacBook. And if you're logged into Game Center, um, it might save your progress or, you know, save your progress somehow to iCloud in another way. Um, so you don't have to start over when you've done uh, 137 levels on your iPhone and you want to play on your Apple TV. You don't have to start from the beginning. Did, did you play Angry Birds when it came out? Yes. Yeah. In fact, uh, my kids still like to play variations of the Angry Birds games. It took a long time before there was a Mac version. Yeah. But as you say, you know, a, a popular game now, boom, it's out on iOS, it's out on the Mac and everyone can play. And iOS developers won't assume they're going to sell that many more because of the Mac availability. But what, what you said earlier, the seamless way of going from one to the other just makes it that much more comfortable for people who do have multiple devices. Right. And this is something that Apple is all about, right? About ease of use and, you know, cross-platform compatibility between Apple, uh, different Apple platforms. In the Apple ecosystem. Yeah. In the Apple ecosystem. Yeah. So, so this is something that, um, seems like it makes a lot of sense for Apple to do. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, this, this report really sounds promising if Apple is working on this behind the scenes. Uh, now it may take a little while, according to, to Bloomberg, this is going to happen by 2021. So we may still have a couple of years. Um, however, you know, it's possible we may get uh, little bits and pieces of this, um, over time. Um, we'll have to see what happens at, uh, this year's worldwide developer conference. If Apple says anything about this and kind of gives any hints or maybe starts to roll out some features of marzipan uh slowly um but uh but this this sounds like a really cool technology and i, and I think it's going to mean a lot of good things for the apple ecosystem and another element about this is there is talk that apple apple makes their own processors for ios devices and for the apple watch there's talk that they'll shift the mac over to their own processors as well and that is what makes this possible having the same processors because if you're 
computer code is running on one processor, was developed for one processor, you can't just port it immediately to another processor without making a lot of changes. So if they do have the same processor, then this would be, I, I wouldn't say it would be totally transparent because developers still need to determine the size of Windows and different interface elements. But it would be almost a no-brainer to make uh, uh, an iPad, iPhone app usable on the Mac. Right. It seems like this would allow for a much um, easier transition. Well, this and other Apple technologies, I should say, would allow for a much easier transition than, say, the PowerPC processor to Intel processor move that Apple made with the Mac way back in like 2006. Um, and even before that, um, if, if you've been an Apple user long enough, you might remember that Apple used to have Motorola 68K processors, and then they moved to PowerPC processors. My first Mac had a Motorola. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Apple has, has, at least on the Mac platform, they've gone through this architecture change a couple of times and Apple's engineers, their software engineers have learned a lot from this. And I think behind the scenes, Apple has really been doing a lot of things that maybe not necessarily for that primary purpose, but, um, sort of as a side effect of the way that they're thinking about developing these things. I think Apple will have a much easier transition to, you know, the A series processors like we see in iOS devices. If Apple chooses to go that direction for the desktop for Mac OS platforms. One thing I don't think this is a sign of is the fact that we will see touchscreen Macs. Um, touchscreen computers are really problematic for repetitive stress injuries. Um, I'm sitting in front of my iMac. It's two feet away. I have to lean forward to touch it. And if I'm doing that all day, I'm going to get pain in my shoulder. Um, I don't think these apps suggest that we're going to use touch. In fact, none of them, they all work with cursors now. Um, so I don't think people should either read in to this marzipan idea, anything about touchscreen Macs, or assume that this is one of the possibilities. Yeah, th there was uh, something that has been brought up before called gorilla arm. This this is sort of a syndrome that you can encounter if you are constantly reaching your arm out in front of you to touch a touchscreen, as opposed to, you know, looking down at a device and tapping on it while it's in your hand. There's a very different um, feel to it if you're having to reach your arm straight out in front of you to tap something on a screen that's directly in front of you. Um, and your arm can get tired. That's that's the reason for <laughs> for this uh, uh, term, gorilla arm, because uh, you start to feel like you know your arm is heavy because you're you're constantly lifting it up. And you know, I, I don't know how much of a true legitimate concern this is because I imagine that if you're doing this all the time, your muscles will develop and you know you'll, it'll become easier to do. Have you never had any RSI? I had carpal tunnel syndrome some years ago. I was doing it all the time. It was, you know, typing in mouse and, and the height of the keyboards, I think. Um, it's not doing it all the time. That's a good thing. That's it, quite the opposite. That's the bad thing. Yeah. So, well, there's repetitive stress injuries like you talk about. Yeah. And that, so that, that could be a really big problem for, for people who, who do have those kind of injuries. Um, you, you certainly don't want to make them worse by constantly having to reach your arm up and reach out to a screen in front of you. So that's a good point. Yeah. In any case, I, I don't think we're going to see a touchscreen Mac, but I'm pretty excited about Marzipan. Um, I like the ability to have simpler apps because we often talk about apps that have too many features that are bloated. You know, Microsoft Word, you've got 80,000 menu commands and all that. Um, sometimes it's nice to have a simple app that does something simple. Uh, again, a, a lot of this is going to be games that benefit from it, and I'm not a big game player. Um, but 
just the idea of the apps that we've seen, the, the stocks and home and, and news and all that, I think they're really good examples of what you can do with a single window on the Mac. All right, that's enough for this week. Next week, we're going to do a deep dive to tell you how to maintain your online privacy. Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.